Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Everybody, welcome back to Podside Picnic. Uh, I'm Pete, one of your hosts, and as usual, I'm here with the Poe to my Finn, uh, Connor. <laughs> I don't know, Matt. I, I'm trying to decide if I'm more of a Poe or you're more of a Poe. But you know what? This movie won't really help us figure that out because neither of them really exist as characters. They're just a series of bad Joss Whedonismus. But I got ahead of myself. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> No problem. Yeah, the spoilers. <laughs> so, uh, before we got on the air, we had a little conversation about uh, the last Skywalker and how we should talk about it. And well, well, first I, of all, it's called it's called the Rise of Skywalker. Is it? Yeah. I was hoping it was the last one, man. <laughs> You're combining Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. That's oh, how I am. That's yeah. That's how invested I am. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so um, I, I don't think, well, we, we obviously need to talk about uh, the badness of the film. Uh, I don't think that is very useful to anybody because anybody who doesn't know it's bad hasn't seen the movie and hasn't, like, left their house in days. Actually, you haven't left your house in days, have you? It's true. I've been in Laramie, and yesterday I just agonized over my novel pretty much all day when I wasn't reading uh, Barry Cormorant, which we're going to talk about in the show one day. And then I, uh, what else was I doing? And then today it snowed, like, I don't know, four or five inches. So all I did as far as leaving the house was shovel the walk and get some firewood. So, you know, been a, been a pretty otaku few days for me with a sort of mountain man <laughs> twist to it. But uh, this movie, so I, I think it's interesting. What were you going to say? I was like, you've got a moose-shaped body pillow. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting that you mentioned we had a chat before this, because like, I think actually as a little bit of a peek behind the curtain for our listeners, that was probably one of the shortest chats we ever had before recording, because we basically established that our review as such is not that important because you've heard a million reviews, especially if you're on Twitter. You've seen nonstop chatter about this movie, much of it exceedingly stupid. But certainly a lot of it numbing <laughs> by the time we get to it. So, like, it, our review's not important. We think it's important is kind of the, the meta, uh, th- taking a step back and saying, how do we even want to discuss this? Because, like, I, I, mean, I don't know, Pete, like, what what frame should we be using here? Like, what what do you think is actually useful for us to discuss about, discuss about this movie? Well, one of the things I would like to do is, uh, well, remember when we talked, well, of course you remember, you, you've been here on, on with me, but like when we talked about A New Hope and the earlier films, we talked about what was, what was special about the Star Wars franchise and the choices they were making and the things to kind of make sci-fi movies interesting. And I'd like to talk a little bit about what, what happened here. 
Like, not just Disney took it over and took a dump on it, because I, I don't think that's particularly deep, but I, it's, I, I'm very interested in what's happening to sci-fi movies in general, and I think this is a pretty interesting test case of it. So that's something I'd like to talk about. Yeah, I think that's all very cogent. And I, I want to say, to note something that you said in passing, this idea that like Disney is somehow just you know inherently worse at making movies than L- George Lucas was is ludicrous. Like it, it shows anything, a lack of memory. <laughs> yeah, like it, obviously Disney deserves a lot of critique. Disney, the Disney Corporation, has been responsible for a lot of really good movies historically. And like, if anything has changed in the context of Star Wars, it's that we live in a vastly different cultural landscape, um, particularly in material terms and how these things are getting produced. We live in a vastly different place than we did 40 some years ago when the first movies came out. So I don't think it's like, oh, Disney ruined it thing. Like if they ruined it, it's just part of the grander arc of cultural history here, of which Disney is, of course, a major part. But I don't want to bog down in that. Um, What's happening in the sci-fi movies? I mean, my first thought here is one that's been floating around on Twitter, right? Which is that this movie was clearly an attempt to give uh, the loud, I mean, at least to some extent, it was an attempt to give what is clearly the loudest and clearly the stupidest part of the Star Wars fan base what they claimed they wanted. And it resulted in a movie that is so staggeringly not only stupid, but also poorly made in a way that I, to me, is not like that's not the problem with like Disney properties, right? Like, there's a lot of technical competency that goes into Disney movies for the most part. But like the editing in the first part of this movie, where it feels like someone got Star Wars footage off of YouTube and cut their own movie. Like it, it just it looked amateurish. Yeah. Like it, the, the unconnected, the like barely connected, incoherent, rushed images in the first like thirty to forty minutes of this movie, and then all the expositional dialogue they're cramming in, and like ninety percent of the dialogue in this movie is just here's what's happening. That's happening. Yeah, that's happening. I'm going there. Oh, we're going there with you. No, you're not. Yeah, we are. Like it just it it could not. I mean, okay, we could go on and on like this. Point being, like this is not just this is not bad in the same way as. Um, the average Marvel movie, for instance. It's bad in a completely different way. And it, I, I don't know how much that has to do with the broader arc of sci-fi movies. I'd be interested to get, to get your take, though. I mean, what do you want to... Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so I think we, we need to talk about, about two people here to, to really f- drill down on what I'm talking about. And those two people are Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams. And uh, you may have very different opinions about what I'm about to say, so I'm just going to lay it out there and make it available for discussion or attack. So uh, Joss Whedon uh, showed up at a time when science fiction films and TV wasn't wasn't great. There were some bright spots, things like like Star Trek. But overall, it it didn't really have a lot to it, at least most of it. And Josh showed up and he's like, well, I want complicated plot lines. I want to slowly build people's affection for particular characters and either murder them or have them betray. I want to have uh, I want to have. Uh, really deep, serious discussions. And in those serious, deep s- discussions about important issues, I want people to uh, to use funny slang or I want them to use quips to make it work, you know, like all of that stuff. And he, it, at least at the time he started doing this, I think it was a step forward. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the, I don't know how well it holds up. I'm afraid to go back. 
but for its time was pretty extraordinary stuff. And I have a feeling the earlier Marvel movies wouldn't have been as good, say, if he hadn't existed. Yeah, so I think you're making a key point here. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but like... No, Joss, no, go ahead. Joss Whedon won, right? If you go back to Buffy, that style of like this sort of quippy, rhythmic witticisms where, you know, characters sort of... I don't want to theorize about it too much, but it, it is very much about this sort of... This rapid-fire wit where oftentimes characters do end up sounding kind of similar to one another. Um, and there's almost, as, as someone who's edited my work has said about it to critique it, there's sometimes that, that I can be a little bit Whedonish when it feels like characters are competing to see who can be the wittiest. Well, and, that's uh, your generation, too, to your credit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, the being funny is prized. Absolutely. And, you know, it's partly, I mean, it's become, it's also a dominant style on Twitter in a lot of ways. But I don't want to, I, I want to make a point here that you kind of alluded to, which is that to be clear, the time period you're talking about, like late 90s, early 2000s, when, when we're talking about sci-fi on screen, we're, you're talking about like Stargate, right? Right. Yeah, you're talking <laughs> about Stargate. Well, I mean, for that matter, you're talking about the prequels. Yeah, Star Wars prequels. Great point. Yeah, a lot of science fiction was. I mean, there was there was some cool stuff happening in the '90s. I can think of like uh, Terminator Two, but it, it felt like the the cultural car was running out of gas. Like that was the end of history time. Like we we didn't know what to do with ourselves. And Joss Whedon was like, "Let's be quippy. Let's fight the big bad." And hey, he had a theory nobody else did, and I I think you nailed it. He won absolutely to the point where if you start watching a new western or a new detective story, people start talking like Joss Whedon wrote the dialogue. Yeah, and to be clear, the thing that I was making fun of earlier in this episode when characters comment directly and repeatedly. And kind of rhythmically back and forth when they're commenting directly on what is happening and what's going to happen. And like uh, that that style of dialogue, that kind of like deriving your humor and even some of your dramatic tension and your character development from how quips that are essentially expositional. Right. They're just telling you what's happening um, or what might happen. Driving so much of the, the force of your story from that is kind of, I think, Whedon's hallmark and a thing that uh, he didn't necessarily invent it. Like, if you go back to, like, eight certain 80s action movies, um, get quippy in a similar way, although it's usually a little bit more, like, self-serious. But it's not where—I'm not going to theorize too abstractly. The point being, like, it is so ingrained culturally that I've had to, as I've said, untrain myself from think, from doing that. Because, like, when you get stuck and you know you have to put dialogue in a scene, as a novelist or, you know, I assume as a screenwriter, video game writer or whatever— I think you can easily find yourself drifting into Whedonisms because it's so seared into our brains now that you can be like, well, what if my characters sort of quip at each other about what's happening? That'll make them appealing. That'll that'll kind of leaven the scene. That'll kind of like do all these things that I want my dialogue to do, right? Yeah. You know, when I was when I was in the late 90s, I well, I can't I am saying this on a recorded line, so what the hell? Uh I had one of those Joss Whedon is my master shirts. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was the only guy doing anything innovative and interesting, at least as I saw it at the time. But yeah, I, I think yeah. I think what you're I think what you're saying is really important here. Like we can roast Whedon now, and obviously he won. He got I'm assuming unfathomably rich from all of this. Uh, his influence is stamped all across mass culture. But that's that's how you win, right? You win by initially you're the innovative, cool guy, and then if you if you succeed enough, you become the thing you hate, which is the sort of drab, boring convention. And that happens yeah. to lots of artists. And I mean, in some ways, it's the ultimate compliment, right? 
Um, yeah. Well, and and the, let's go straight into imitation then, and let's talk about J.J. Abrams. Because I think J.J. Abrams uh, studied at the feet of Joss Whedon on some level. Uh, they're both very interested in quippy dialogue, keeping everything moving, spectacle. These things are all very important to both people. But, like, J.J. Abrams... Uh, either isn't good enough or was clever enough to figure out that if you keep the spectacle going and you keep things moving fast enough, a significant portion of your audience does not give a shit about the plot structure. Yeah, and I think if we're talking about Abrams through the lens of Whedon, to be clear, J.J. Abrams did direct this movie. Um, And I was surprised because I've seen him direct movies that are just much more functional and competent. Like his, his star Wars reboot. I thought the first one was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like he can do a lot better than this. And, and honestly, like I want to pause here and say, like, I don't know much about film editing. I was told that he did not have his usual film editing crew on this one. And wow, does it show? Because if I notice your editing and I'm saying the editing here is terrible, then you have a real problem because I don't know how to read editing. But when it's poking through that much, I mean, the editing in this movie, just in, especially in the first act, just truly defies belief. And and I can't really even describe what I mean other than to say it's the most bewilderingly paced, confusing, barely related series of images that I've maybe ever seen in a major blockbuster in a theater. It's it's indescribably bad. Um, well, and you're 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 walking in with the hope and expectation that they do connect some way, you know, and well, they yeah. didn't. I mean, I think I. I I should probably take like a quarter of a step back here and acknowledge something you said here, which was that J.J. Abrams, I when I say I don't think he's as talented as Joss Whedon, that is not to say that he isn't extremely talented. Like you're you're absolutely right. Like that first Star Wars film, I was a huge fan of of Lost, for example. Like the he's done some great things over the years, but what he has been moving towards, I think, is almost opera without the music. <laughs> Interesting point. I wouldn't have put it that way, but I think that's it. That's definitely bears more discussion. I want to say I want to go to your point, though, about him, him and Whedon, which is to say, to be clear, this movie is a drab, joyless imitation of Whedon, whereas yes. like, you, you can have there is such a thing still as a version of the Whedon style that still feels fresh and fun. I will cite my favorite Marvel movie, Thor Ragnarok, which gets cited all the time kind of to death in these discussions about like, well, what is a good like contemporary blockbuster? But I mean, that is there's a lot of that same quippiness and reflexivity and the characters are doing the whole like, I guess we're doing this thing. And like, it's charming. Or that's the thing about Whedon at his best, even when it's silly, even when what he's doing is kind of cheap, it's at least charming and it feels like there's some joy to it. Like, I think one reason people fell in love with Whedon and one reason you probably had the Whedon shirt was not just because he liked his work, but because he gives off... Um, for most of his career, it's giving off this, this warm vibe of like, you know, I'm a fan just like you and I'm ha- I'm trying to have fun doing this and I'm enjoying myself. And he didn't feel like this distant intergalactic figure in the way that, you know, pre- pre-internet, a lot of uh, people creating mass cultural art presumably did. Um, yeah. And that style of creator, by the way, like that's 20 years ago and that style of creator, that's like now what creators are supposed to be, right? You're supposed to, you're supposed to sort of be winking at your audience and being like, yeah, I have a big contract with Disney, but I'm just like you. And again, Whedon and then also Abrams, I think, because Abrams, of course, um, helping create Lost, 
Lost was one of the first shows where the showrunners were like super responsive to internet fandom, which is mm-hmm. now the norm, right? Now that's 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 you're, you have to do that basically. Oh yeah, well, and it, it leads to uh, well, we could tangent because neither one of us want to talk about the film particularly. <laughs> um, it, it leads to dangers. Like, uh, did you watch Westworld? I watched the first season. Yeah. Okay, well, one of the things that happened in Westworld is the online fan base kept speculating loudly about what was going on, and they kept getting it right. And it 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 really screwed with the showrunners, because they had the option of doing something that their audience now thought was audio, obvious, or they could do a weird, sharp left turn. And, like, when you're in a point, uh, I I don't know how closely you listen to my my uh, my episode where I talked about that television show and the uh, Shakespeare and all that. The idea that the the audience is has direct control over what the show is going to do is something we've been trying to get away from from hundreds of years. Because when the audience throws fruit at the stage because you killed somebody and the 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 actors get scared and say, oh well, actually he's not dead. Let's have him stand up and keep acting around that. Like that is terrible. And it's what's happening to film now. And I, I, you're right. I directly blame the internet for this. Yeah, and, and to be clear, this circles because it's back to Rise of Skywalker, right? Because it, it, to some extent, I don't think this that is ever the full story. But to some extent, this is an effort by Disney and through the vehicle of J.J. Abrams to... I mean, one thing this movie does is it tries to retcon Last Jedi almost out of existence by basically cramming two movies into one. That's one reason this movie is so rushed and so and feels so thin in places is because they're trying to do like this whole arc of like the discovery of Palpatine still being around and then defeating him and all this stuff. And and it just feels very slapdash because they are trying to do two movies and they're trying again to appease fans. That's at least part of what they're doing. Now I would say like when I'm watching this, I'm thinking more like, all right, they're dumbing down scripts as far as they can. So that like, Cause like you feel like one of the goals is blockbusters is I've, I've spent a fair amount of time in my life watching contemporary blockbusters, like over someone's shoulder on a plane without sound. And the thing you realize, <laughs> the thing you realize we've been in a direction where a lot of these movies, you don't actually need to see any of the dialogue. You can almost fill it in for yourself. Oh yeah. Um, that, and that absolutely. Helps, right. And that helps it translate to international markets that helps, uh, helps it be something people put on the background when they're playing on their phone or like whatever else, whatever the various viewing experiences are now, like, you obviously couldn't do that as easily with like, you know, Ingmar Bergman, but it's very easy to do it with a Marvel movie. <laughs> like, um, and, and I think that's, that, that's one of the reasons these scripts just get stupider and stupider. But like, again, part of this is responding to fandom and it's a disastrous example of doing so. And I, and I when I say disastrous, like people had complaints about The Force Awakens and people had a lot of complaints about The Last Jedi. And as I said in the show many times, I don't really understand or care to understand a lot of those complaints. It's, it just doesn't, a lot of it doesn't really matter to me. But like, this movie made those movies look like Alien or, you know, like it made those movies look like sublime masterpieces because at least those movies like, you know, the pacing made sense. The editing made sense. The camera work was good throughout. Like in this case, you're just like none of that was there. So when I say disastrous and I say there's almost nothing to discuss, it's that like we're not sitting here parsing whether some well-made scene is like secretly much thinner and stupider than we think. We're sitting here looking at some extremely poorly made scenes in a script that makes little sense and is just a huge mess and saying, yeah, this all pretty much sucked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and the thing is, like, there's a 
like one of the things we've said repeatedly over the past month is like on some level, you can argue that these movies are targeted at the young. And that allows me to give it some suspension of disbelief. But it was not far into this movie where all of that suspension of disbelief went out the window. And I started looking at things like the Death Star that had fallen on that planet. And I'm like, there is there is no there is no fucking way that that planet wouldn't be like a mess of storms and dying if you drop something that large into the middle of the ocean. And what's hilarious is that was probably one of the better parts of the movie. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I mean it, was, <laughs> it was hard for me to get into it, though, because I was like, why isn't it taller? Why is it only half there? Why is there atmosphere? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's yeah, there's just a lot, a lot to be said there. I think. Um, but like you mentioned, this is for, for children like this is again, this would not be a good movie for kids either. Um, oh, God, just because no. it's so. I mean, ironically, at times it did remind me, like the, the first 40 minutes often remind me of those like weird, creepy, procedurally generated YouTube videos. Just like the way that it jumped around was just sort of this flood of loosely connected images that felt extremely generic and underdeveloped. That felt Pepe like it goes to the dentist kind of stuff. Yeah. Or even the creepier ones that are like robotically created for YouTube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it, it, it was just, God, it was so, I can't believe they rolled with like the, that, that cut of the first few minutes. I just can't believe it. Honestly, I can't believe that a bunch of executives from a movie company and the director and everybody sat around and were like, yep, this is what we're going with. It just, it, it defies belief in a way that like, we've seen some bad movies this year, Pete, we went to dark Phoenix we went to Captain Marvel, and we tried to we figure did. out which one of those movies was worse. And the reality is, they're both. We went much- to Alita Battle Angel. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, and all three of those movies are way better made than this one. Um, in yeah. all seriousness, like there, there was yeah. like, and there was more to parse in those three because there was like, because at least you had a framework of like filmmaking competency to 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 sort of discuss. Um, right. Um, I, I would be more angry about this movie, but like, I'm at a funeral, man, you know, (laughs) like this, this was, uh, I mean, I could be wrong. It's very easy to be dramatic. Good man. Um, it's very easy to be dramatic about this stuff, but it really doesn't feel like they can go a lot of good places with the star Wars franchise. And that's even given, uh, Hey, have you had a chance to see the Mandalorian at all? Uh, no, I'm actually curious too, though. I've heard good things. You know, they should have taken that shoved it all together and put that on the big screen. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we should watch the Mandalorian, uh, for this show. I mean, we're coming late to it, but I would be down. Oh yeah, man. Absolutely. Let's do that. I, I, it's a treat. It really is. I, uh, I mean, well, you like, uh, you like Ronin movies, right? Yeah, I'm a big it's fan a of It's a Ronin Samurai. movie, yeah, man. Yeah, I love yeah. Samurai movies. So, like, that's, you know. So, I'm, yeah, I'm totally down for Mandalorian. I, I, I want to I wanna back off here a little, a little bit and say, like, I think they could go some good places with this. Because, not, not with this trilogy. This is dead. And as our friend Luke, <laughs> as our friend Luke reminded us, they're going to jump around in time. Because they do have three more movies planned over the next, I guess, six more years or so. And six, seven more years. And uh, it sounds like they're going to go back in time. And it sounds like they're going to he thinks that there's good reason that they're going to do like Knights of the Old Republic, which we've discussed in the show before. And oh. like, obviously, at this point, I don't trust Disney not to screw that up. But I'm, ho- <laughs> I'm hopeful just because I think it would be hard to replicate the badness of this, because this is a kind of badness that you get not just through laziness or cynicism. It's a badness you get when you didn't fucking plan out your trilogy 
and you've decided that yes, the fan, the angry fans are right, and Rian Johnson's, you know, middle one is bad, and we have to retcon it away in one movie. It's a pretty specific set of circumstances. I feel like the next Star Wars trilogy and future spinoffs will like, like the 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 basement is probably closer to like Solo rather than this. I mean, this is this is in the running for the worst Star Wars movie ever, which is an incredible thing to say when the prequels exist. But I think it's it's definitely in the discussion. And oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think Disney will go this low in the near future. I, I don't. I you know I may have to eat those words, but <laughs> well, I think one of the things. Disney is very good at is uh, is obsessively watching the fan base and they cannot be happy with what's going on with that fan base right now, because he, even the people who are pushing them to make this particular movie, they don't seem to be really into it. No. And I mean, Disney for these big tentpole releases, they want to get like a solid Rotten Tomatoes rating right and this one has like a 56 percent or something which is real, which is real bad <laughs> it was um, 54 this morning yeah so i mean that's you know i mean and it's, and it's disappointing financially and like as some people have said that the last two star wars movies they've made the, the big the big ones have not done as well financially as they'd hoped and that might affect their budgeting and promotion and everything else for upcoming star wars movies but we're definitely not gonna rid ourselves of star wars because these these movies are still gonna make over a billion dollars each and it's still worth it to keep making them. And honestly, if they had less budget for like upcoming Star Wars movies, it might be better because they have to. Be, they might have to be a little bit cleverer. Like, I mean, one right. of my I've said in the show before. One of my big hopes for like blockbuster esque movies is that we might see some of them be made in less blockbustery ways. Because I think I really think that one way to compete with some of this bullshit that's getting made would be to say we're going to do a practical effects like blockbuster that I know that people, a lot of people would consider that a crazy thought, but it's one of my pet, one of my pet takes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, a question for you and it's, it's, it requires two answers and that is best and worst things about this movie for you. Gut reactions. Fine. Oh yeah. So worst and, and least excusable in a movie that had many, many bad elements worse than the terrible editing in the first act. The absolute stupidest part of this movie was that in a story narrative universe in which we've had over 40 years of storytelling about the risks and rewards, the challenges and advantages of building a planet destroying weapon, which is the driving force behind a tremendous amount of Star Wars storytelling over generations now in that narrative universe. They just conjured a fleet of star destroyers that all have planet killers attached out of nothing. <laughs> yes. That is like one of them. That might be the most insulting thing I've ever seen a major studio movie do to me in the theater. I just felt like you are just insulting me to my face right now. That I mean, that is that is like just just imagining I'm imagining like some person who once dreamed of writing the next Goodfellas and they've been in Hollywood for 20 years and now they're cynical and have a family they gotta get paid and like they've got Disney's that's looking over their shoulder like just put just put the planet killers in there man just put it in there and they're, they're, this person's just like turning out their hair being like you know don't think about it anymore just take your Xanax like it's, right. it's so it's just so hello it's insulting and stupid on a level that surpasses the stupidity and insults of Ooh. anything we've seen in any of these stupid fucking movies we've discussed in the show this year it's like it's just so far beyond the pale and I, I can't honestly can't believe they did it. It, it it's just it, it it beggars belief honestly. So that was worst. Uh, best. 
I think the I forget the name of it. They went to the win, like wintry trading outpost and they met Babu Frick, the droid mechanic. Who I know is like intentionally meant to make me feel things and, and be, be a toy. But I still like I still enjoyed Babu Frick, and I thought that in a better in a like script that was like fifteen percent better written. The thing between Poe Dameron and that woman that's mad at him could have been interesting. Unfortunately, the script is so bad that like even this good idea felt sort of felt ham fisted and underdeveloped and everything else. Um, but that that whole sequence was, I think, for me, the strongest part of the movie. How about for you? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I was mostly thinking characters. So my the the worst is a tie for me. Uh, the number one is dragging Carrie Fisher's body out and having it shamble across stage. I thought it was revolting. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and then um, Rose, like, what the hell? It's like, I, I know this is something Twitter's gone bananas about, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But the fact is they had this fully developed character that had stakes, that had involvement. And, and they basically turned her into a, a, a yes man and, you know, completely dragged her away from any significance of the plot. And I just thought it was shameful. I'm going to give you a contrarian take here, though. Which yeah, is go that- ahead. Rose Tico's character is actually better served by not having been on screen as much in this movie because they can revive that character. Like, she survived like all the other main characters did, except for Kylo Ren. But, like, this, the, the sort of, like, agonizing misuse and just overall stupidity of how things went for, like, Finn and Poe and other key characters. Like, I, I mean, you know, those characters can be revived in other formats, other movies. But, like, man, I think it's a mercy to leave any character out of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Okay, so the best, um, I really, uh, I, I really liked Adam Driver in this. I know, I know that's a normie take, but the, the, what, what charmed me about that character and the choices they made about him was very simple. He was clumsy. I mean, we we had we had a, a Jedi slash dark Jedi up there all the time, like bumbling into walls, cutting his face, cutting his own dork off, like constantly. And it really charmed me that they took a character of that significance and put him in the center of the cycle and just had him constantly running into brick walls. It just it, it was a choice I would have never expected Disney to make. It's an interesting take that I haven't thought about much, but I did think that he did his best with a with a script that, again, I found to be offensive. Uh, and, Hi, and, Bronte. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I mean, I, I can buy that. And you know, you know what I think, Pete? I think we said we were going to go about 30, 35 in this. We're over 30 now. Um, I think we should do a beer run in the not too distant future. And I think that I, I don't honestly like. I don't have a ton more to say. I feel like I got to say about this is just going to be circular. Um, but I do want to explore some of these other topics, like the Whedon, the Whedon stuff. And I'm going to propose yeah. that we do a beer run where we talk about um, some epiphanies I've had about novel writing and storytelling generally in the last few days. I think you'll find those interesting. Let's let's move on to that soon and let okay. this damn movie die. What do you think? Oh, I think that's a good idea. Like, we're, we're both unhappy talking about this thing. Though, I, I one last thing I want to say. That that group hug at the end, Ray Polycule. I'm calling it. 
<laughs> I hadn't considered that. Uh, that's another one of the many horrifying possibilities <laughs> in this movie. Uh, um, you know, uh, so I, I, uh, I don't want to say anything more about this movie because I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get mad. So uh, thanks everyone and. Um, yeah, uh, you know, if you haven't seen this movie already, probably don't. If you resisted this resisted this long, you can continue to resist the dark side of the force, which is represented by this film. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about something fun with you guys soon, okay? Yes, that's our promise. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>